Just like fine wine. We just get better. We don't get worse. We get better. Just like fine wine with age, baby. I'm just as good as I ever was. I hope. I think. God, I wish. I wish. But I will tell you. Uh, first of all, who am I? Uh, I don't know. But uh, I'm here. Uh, I'm Lee Jackson. Uh, America's favorite watchman, America's finest watchman, the world's finest watchman. Yeah, you know, for all those years, I didn't toot my own horn, and look where it got me. Here. So now I'm going to toot my own horn. I'm sick and tired of everybody trying to take the credit for all the stuff that I pioneered and did. And I don't want to be negative. Dr. Negativo, not here. We want to be positive, so I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm just going to tell you, hey. You're talking to the man that started the whole shebang. I started watches on TV. I made more people collect watches and buy it. I don't think anybody ever lost a penny with me. They all, Everything they bought went up, up, up. Every time I look at prices of what I was selling them and buying them for, and now today, holy mackerel, they did really well. They could go on one of these TV shows and say, hey, I paid this for it, and they come back and go, wow, it's worth this today. Like Antiques Roadshow. They definitely would have made money, and they should be happy. Are we happy? Sure, we're happy. Are you kidding? We're happy. Happy, happy. All right, so what I did want to, I want to talk about some of my crazier stories. Um, you know, I used to get people in the middle of the night, because the worst time of the, the day for shopping, I'll tell you about the shopping business, might as well. Uh, the worst day of the week for online shopping and TV shopping is Wednesday, which is hump day. The best days are the weekends, of course. Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night are good. Um, overnights were always really tough because think about who the hell is up at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and wants to buy. Well, I can tell you for sure, we used to get a lot of drunk people in the middle of the night. I know you're sitting there going, oh my God, drunk people? And my answer is, believe it or not, yes. Not only are they drunk, they want to buy. You used to have people get drunk, they just buy, 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 buy. I mean, what is it about booze that makes you want to buy stuff? You know, I drink enough booze, I want to go to bed. I don't want to sit there and buy stuff. But there are people that get drunk and buy. There are people that have a hole in their pocket with money and have to buy. Uh, I used to have a guy that would buy for me. He would buy so much. And he had a lot of money, this guy. And he would buy vintage pieces, I don't know, $400 pieces like crazy. And he, I said to him, what are you doing with all this stuff? And he said he gives it away. He keeps the really good stuff he likes, and he just buys to buy and just give it away to friends and family. I don't know why he's not part of my family, because he could give me stuff anytime. But that's the kind of crazies you get. People that are really drunk. Sometimes they'll call up. They don't make any sense at all. They just are lonely. And then there's people that really are lonely and call up and want to talk and talk to the phone bank, to somebody. They just want to talk because they have no life or they're lonely. And this is like uh, a friend. I mean, people like to glom on to people on TV and shows. Um, I told you, or I know maybe I didn't tell you, but years ago, my grandmother, who's long gone, she used to call, she used to uh, donate to Jim and Tammy Baker. And I would say to her, what the hell do you do that for? They're a bunch of crooks. And she said, I like them. 
I like them. I feel sorry for them. So that's what happens. People glom on to whatever and they feel connected and then they want to kind of support, which is a nice thing, but you don't want people to get drunk, buy stuff and then return everything. We just talked about this last episode. Returns kill the retailer, especially when they're on credit card. So we don't really like that kind of stuff. And we've had all kinds of people. I mean, you get what's called a, um, let me see, how can I say it? So it's user friendly. Like you get somebody that just starts buying like crazy. We There's different words for them. We used to call them a plum. You know, it's somebody you know is going to buy. If they're around, they're going to buy. Whether it's jewelry or watches or whatever it is, gemstones, whatever it is they like, they're going to buy and they're going to spend a lot of money over time. And those are the kind of people we love in the shopping business because they don't return a lot. They buy and they keep it and everybody's happy. And yes, you do give them a great price. That's fine. No problem. Because you're a good customer and you want to you wanna propagate good customers, not bad. You don't want bad customers to get away with stuff and then continue to drive you crazy. You want to weed them out. And that's why you register people for a shopping network simply because when the phone bank, when you call and say, hi, this is Joe Blow, and they look you up, it pops up on their computer, your history, who you are, you're legit, yada, yada. You could be just playing games. I'm on home watching TV. I see this yo-yo on TV trying to sell me something and here's a number that pops up and I'm going to mess with them just for fun. We get a lot of that. And if the first thing we say is, are you registered? Give me your number. And if it pops up right, fine. What can I do for you? If it pops up wrong, I'm sorry. You're not registered and I can't help you. And that saves a lot of hassle, a lot of headache. You get people registered just for that reason, just to see that they are legit, not to keep tabs on them like people are worried about Big Brother and all that. That wasn't the point. The point was just to have some kind of coherency in your business. When people call in, you go, oh, okay, Mr. Jones, I see. What can I do for you? And you know they're legit. And it doesn't cost anything to register before you think. And you're not charged anything. And there's no upsell unless you want it. It's just keeping you in the computer so that when you do call, if you like something, it streamlines the process. We don't have to go through asking you, what's your name? Where do you live? It's all in there. You just say, okay, fine. You do that before you buy. And I always tell people when I do an auction, if you're not registered, you cannot participate in this auction. So you've got to get registered. Even if you don't buy anything, just get registered. It doesn't cost anything. We're not going to do anything with your name. You know, we're not going to sell you, send you candy or something. No. So it's a good idea to do that. And it's also a nice idea to be nice to the phone bank and nice to the people. There's no reason to be nasty or cruel or any of that. It doesn't make anybody help you more or want to do for you. It's always nice when you treat people with a little kindness and respect and you can politely say no. You don't have to scream and yell and go crazy. And most of the people we have are pretty good. I'm not saying everybody's like that because they're not. Most people are pretty decent, but you're appreciated when you're a good customer. And once you buy from someone on TV and you see the quality and the price, you'll come back for more if they're legit because they're not going to rip you off. There are people I know that have sold on TV that will bait and switch and do all kinds of stuff. Show you one thing and send you another and, you know, like show you a really great gemstone and send you one that's not so great. That happens, but I was never ever in favor of doing anything like that. I always tried to do it as straight as I could. The piece you see is the piece that's going to arrive at your door and you've got 
I used to give them uh, two weeks to 30 days to return. If you don't like it, send it back. But I really encouraged people not to buy if they're just on the fence or they're not sure. Because then you're going to get it back. And like I explained to you in the last episode, it costs a lot of money. And it hurts, 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 hurts. I mean, I used to do shows when I'd be eating dinner during the shows. Be sick during the show. Who cares? You just do it. You know, you don't think about it. Monday is Christmas and I have to do a Monday show. Well, guess what? It's Monday, not Christmas. I got to do a show. Don't matter. New Year's Eve, doesn't matter. Can't go away either. I mean, what do you, unless you have your show covered, what are you going to do? Just say, oh, I'm not here. Out to lunch for a week. Mm, I don't think that's going to work too well. So I've told you about some of the crazies. I'm trying to remember some, uh, I mean, I saw such crazy stuff where power went out and things fell down on the set and uh, we never got robbed, but I did tell you there was a show that I was doing where the director came out and shut the video feed off so that you had a blank screen, but you could still hear everybody screaming at each other and people were calling going, are you getting robbed? And it was just the director was so pissed with this woman that ran this network that he just said, he shut the video off and he just started screaming at her. And she started screaming back and this all went out live. And people were calling, going, what's going on? What's going on? You got to try to have some kind of decorum when you're doing shows. I mean, as many years as I've done shows, I have never said anything too dirty yeah, I've come close, but never said dirty words like I can think of other people that have. I've never done that, and I'm not doing it here on this podcast either. Once that light comes on, I know I got to make my language as clean as I can without compromising what I'm trying to say. So, yeah, I'll say, a, you know, a couple words, but I'm not going to say like the F word, yes, none of that stuff. I just, it just doesn't come to me. And the other thing that I don't do, which drives me completely mad is where people go, uh, um, um, uh, uh. I mean, I listen to people and they do that after and they should not be speaking. If you cannot speak without doing ums and ahs and stuff, you're not speaking properly. You don't hear me do it, do you? I, if I don't have anything to say, you just hear silence. You don't hear, uh. I think that's terrible. And you have to work on not doing that because it's a really bad thing. I mean, Come on. So when you do overnights, you get the craziest time because first of all, everybody's gone just about. You just have a, a skeleton crew, a skeleton phone bank, and there's really nobody else around. So it's really weird and you get tired. I mean, I used to go till one o'clock in the morning and I would get pretty tired. By the time I'd be home, it'd be two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. But they have shows. <clears throat> they have networks that do go all night. And remember, we're in 4 o'clock on the West Coast. It's 7 a.m. on the East Coast. So that helps. The later on, you know, like 4 or 5 o'clock Pacific helps because the East Coast is already waking up and they're having their coffee and getting ready for work. And they can start watching and maybe you'll make a few sales. Um, the people that do buy in the middle of the night usually don't want to spend very much money either. So you get people that are not looking for super expensive. And if they do and they're messed up, they're drunk, they're whatever, a lot of times you'll get it back. So you really don't want that kind of customer. Um, let me think of some of the other crazies I've dealt with over the years. Um, you know, you could turn your mic off. We have these, when we did shows, we had these wireless mics and you have a little pack on the side of your belt and you could turn it on and off. So you can hit the button and you can say something that doesn't go out live. 
So you could say something to the people around you. You could say something to the, uh, the crew, the phone bank, whoever, or you can just cough if you have to or sneeze. So that's pretty helpful to be turned to be able to turn off the mic. So if I was sick, I would hit the button and cough and then let the button go, let go of the button and I'd start talking again. You'd never know I was sick. Maybe if I sound a little raspy or something, but you have to work no matter what, pretty much. And I have worked extremely sick. It was not fun. I got to tell you. Uh, let me think of anybody else. I've seen sports people do sports memorabilia, regular memorabilia. We did years ago. We did, had coin people. We did, uh, jewelry was a big number for us. And for me, every network I've been to jewelry and watches were leading the parade. Watches became huge. When I started doing it, it was nothing. Nobody ever done it. The only thing they were doing was pocket watches and they were not super expensive pocket watches. They were just less expensive railroads and stuff, two to $500 watches mostly. And then I came along and started showing vintage and went on to more luxury. And there was a big market of people that want a good deal. And you know, when it's in front of you on your TV and it's a close up and you can see the detail, it's like going into a jewelry store and looking at something almost with a loop. You're looking at it so close. And I used to tell my people, get so close it hurts. I want them to see every inch of this thing. And if it's bad, if it's got scratches, I want them to see it. That's the way I always looked at it. I wanted you to see everything so you could make an informed decision. And it would, I always told people, and I still do, it will look better in person than it does here on TV. TV cannot do it justice. When you think about it, TV has limited capability of how much detail it can really show. I mean, now it's getting better and better. You're up to what, 1080 lines now? In the old days, it was NTSC, which is uh, the old standard before they came out with digital. And they were, I think, 300 to 400 lines of resolution. Now we're up to like on cable, we're up to double that, 720. So everything looks a lot better than it used to. And you want people to see that. You want the lighting to be good. You don't want things like, I got to talk about this and we'll take a break. There, there's a thing called a star filter that everybody used to use. And what that does is any kind of light reflecting off the jewelry or watch would look like a star, would have like a star effect. It looked really cool. Years ago, people got in trouble for that because people would get the merchandise home. They'd expect the same thing to have like a star halo and it didn't. So people stopped using star filters. It's a filter that goes on the camera that when there's a reflection, it creates like a, like a, uh, like a blue star sapphire, fake sapphire look. You know how you get a star in a sapphire? Kind of like that. So they stopped using it. I'm not a proponent of that. I don't want to add to stuff that doesn't, that isn't there. I want you to see what you are getting. Nothing more, nothing less. I don't show one and send something else, which I've seen many, many people do. Um, there were gem people, and I've dealt with a lot of gem people, and they can be pretty sketchy. They would show one gem, and they'd say, we got a bunch of these, and then the one they would send you would not be the same. It would be something worse or less quality. Sorry to burst your bubble, but that's kind of the way it works. So we're going to take a break here. If I can get our music going again. Yeah, here we go. Here's our music. Let's take a break. We'll be right back.
Okay, we're back. Yay, we're back. Lee Jackson, America's finest watchman, back with you again. Yay. Okay, so I'm talking about some of the crazy stuff that has happened to me over the years, um, doing shows with people and things. And man, I could tell stories from now to doomsday. So I was talking about uh, gemstone people and what they do. And not all of them do it, but, you know, they do. They'll show you a gemstone that looks actually better than what you're going to end up getting. And people get really irked about that. And yeah, it's an easy way to sell a bunch, but you're going to get a bunch of them back. And the whole trick in selling on TV is if you sell a less expensive piece, is it worth someone's time to send it back? And that's how HSN and QVC, that's how they make a ton of money. They sell stuff at a certain price point, and most people, it's like, who wants to send it back for 20, 30, 40 bucks? It's not worth it. You know, and they that's how they do what they do, and they sell that much. And they get a lot of people, I guess, that keep it, that don't want to send it back. All right, so let's get back to watches since I, now I've told you a few funny stories. I'll think of some more as I go along. I mean, I have so many in my head of things I saw that were just unbelievable. I want to talk about pins on a watch or spring bars that is the real name. And that's that little springy thing that holds your band into in between the lugs. You have two little holes and the spring bar or the pin sits in there and holds it on. And there are different kinds of pins. Most pins are made overseas in China, wherever they're fine. They're not expensive. Uh, they're hard to get out. Sometimes hard to get in sometimes. And sometimes they're easy. Very rare, though. Usually when you have a band, like a metal band, much harder. And yet they all have spring bars in them. But you got to figure out how to get it in, how to get it out, how to do all that. And that can drive me completely batty for a while, trying to figure out how to get this thing hooked up. Especially Rolex uh, Jubilee bracelets are really tough. So are most of the Rolex bracelets to get on there. you got to know exactly how to do it, or it's going to drive you completely mad. I mean, I spent hours with little detail stuff like that trying to figure it out and if you're a repair shop you can't charge somebody it took me five hours to put on your stupid spring bar you can't they're not going to pay it so it's your fault it took five hours not their fault in theory it should be quick shouldn't be that hard to do in theory it should be pretty easy so most spring bars um you have the ones that have different diameters as they get up bigger you have the center section and then you have the little telescoping telescoping sections and they get smaller and then you have the ones that are the same all the way to the end some of them have a double shoulder at the end which is easier to grab if you're trying to grab a tool it's like the rings of saturn sitting on the end of this pin on both sides makes it easy to grab but if it's a big thick end sometimes it's harder to get into a little hole um and no, you can't really, you can drill the holes if you're really careful. You have somebody do it. If you mess it up, you mess up the entire watch. Now, I ran into some interesting pins years ago, and I don't call them string, spring bars. I call them pins. They had these, they had a watch where instead of a hole in the lugs, it had a little nipple sticking out in metal. And the spring bar didn't have a nipple. It had an opening that would fit over the little nipple that was part of the watch. Now, you could sand it off. You could drill a hole and change it back to a hole. And I've done that before. But 
it's a very interesting kind of spring bar. You don't see them very often, but I've had them and I've worked with them. They have spring bars that have these holes that fit into those things and they're pretty sturdy. But when you see it for the first time, you go, what in the hell is this? Then there are not spring bars, but like T-bars almost that fit into a watch and they have a screw holding them together. It's not under a spring. It's a solid piece with little screws on the end that sit flat, like almost like a Cartier look. And those are kind of cool. They fit into certain watches. Um, you screw it together. It's very strong. It can't come apart because it's screwed together. And those are kind of interesting. Uh, let me think of what other kind of spring bars. There's all kinds. Double shoulder, single shoulder, thick ones, thin ones. Then there's all kinds of spring bar removal tools, which I recommend trying different ones. Some band companies will send you a band with the spring bars built into it or in the bag and a little tool to take it apart. And one side has a little like a fork on it. And the other side has like a little, um, like kind of like a pin on the end, almost like a paperclip end. And that's for pushing in. Sometimes uh, lugs have a hole that goes all the way through the case. So you can push from the other side, stick this real thin pin in there, push, and the pin will pop out on the other side. Uh, some Rolexes have holes in where the lugs are and some don't. And they used to grade them like that. Does it have holes? Does it not? If it has holes, it's much easier to get the pin out. You just stick another pin on the other side, this piece that's on the end of this removing tool, and it just pushes the pin out. That makes life so much easier. If it does not have a pin, you have to grab the pin from the inside of the band. In other words, not on the outside of the watch, on the inside of the lugs. You got to get in there. You got to grab it, pull it back somehow. Remember, it's telescoping with a spring. You got to pull it back, and then hopefully that way you can take the uh, pin out. It's not easy. Sometimes you can use different length pins. They're all in millimeter, 20, 19, and so on. You can use, I recommend using a pretty good size one that fills up that space because you don't want to lose your watch by, and I've said this in the previous uh, podcast, you don't want to lose your watch by somehow the band gets hot, caught on the pin and you turn and all of a sudden the pin pops out. And that's happened to me before. But if you have a big pin that fills up most of that space, it's very, very, very remote that that's going to happen. And I've had that happen before where the watch is hanging on my wrist and one pin has come out and the whole band's gone in half and it's barely hanging on my wrist. And when you're talking about expensive watches and a, and a one cent pin just ruined it for you and you lost your watch, that would kill your day. I guarantee it. I would be so pissed. Oh my God. Um, there's all kinds of pin tools. There's good, there's bad, there's everything. You got to try. I have like three or four different ones. There used to be a little one I really liked that had like little claws at the end, like two little claws. And you could really grip that pin with it and pull it back and get it out of there. And it was a small little um, pin tool. It wasn't these long ones. It was a little one. And the end would break. So you'd have to buy extras. You screw them in. And I haven't seen them. I went looking around for them and I don't see them anymore. So I use the more standard ones you find. Uh, but I used to really like those because they had like a curled end. It was like a claw, two claws next to each other. And it really helped. It made my job a lot easier because one of the things that will drive you completely mad, and you have to do this yourself because if you go to a store, you're going to pay through the nose, is you have to be able to change your bands yourself. You have to be able to put pins in yourself. You have to be able to take off metal bracelets and put them back. And then you now have to learn how to buff that stuff. But the first thing you learn 
is how do you change bands on a watch? That is really, really crucial to collecting. Because if you go into, I, I bought a two-tone watch and uh, took it to a jeweler and said, can you take the links out? I do it myself usually. He charged me 10 or $15 to take out a couple links. And you start thinking about that over and over and over. It's like, why don't you just do it yourself? It's not hard. If it's a metal band, the, the links either push out and they usually give you this little tool with a screw worm drive on the side that pushes it right out or they unscrew and you get jeweler screwdrivers and just unscrew them. And when you use jeweler screwdrivers, you got to use the right size that fills up the hole because if you use something too small or too little, it won't work as well. You got to get the right leverage. You don't want to strip the screw. So you want to get the right kind of screwdriver and jeweler screwdrivers work very well. And I recommend buying the decent jeweler screwdrivers like Bergenon or one of those. If you buy these cheap ones, they're total crap. I bought one not that long ago, made in China or somewhere. They didn't even work at all. I was like, why did I pay anything for this? Then you go get the good ones and they're fine. They work really well. You can also reshape and sharpen uh, jeweler's screwdriver blades. They're meant to be sharpened on a stone. They're meant to be to get dull after a while and you can resharpen them and so on. That's what jewelers do. They have precision tools that they use. You also need a loop. A loop is a magnifier that you need to put over your eye so you can look carefully at these things. You should also have magnification. They have uh, a loop. They have them as glasses. You've seen them where it flips down. It's like a visor and they have these magnification things on there. Those are great, especially if you're not sure what you're seeing. As you get older, your eyesight gets worse. It's harder to see the little bitty pieces like the spring bars and where they go in and the screws, if there's any screws. They're tiny usually. And I have trouble with that stuff. With little teeny weeny pieces, I have trouble with that stuff. I have to be really careful because I have not big hands, but I should have half the size hands to touch these little parts and stuff. So when you work somewhere, what jewelers have, they have a watchmaking bench that has a drawer that pulls out and it's got like um, fabric in the drawer. As a floor to the drawer, it's like white canvas. So if anything falls, it falls into this canvas and you can see it little parts. I mean, that's smart because I've dropped more stuff on the floor I haven't found. So wherever you do your work, you want to work someplace that's unencumbered, unfettered, where you can actually work. You want good light and you want to have a loop and you want to have the right kind of spring tools to take the spring uh, bars out. You want to have different uh, bands. You want to have different kinds of buckles. You can change buckles if you want. What if you get a band that has the wrong color buckle? You know, you wanted yellow and it came with white gold looking buckle, or you want to put your deployment buckle on there like I do. Got to have the tools to do it. In watchmaking and watch repair tools are crucial because you're dealing with little teeny weeny things. And that's why I don't do the movements myself. That's why I don't overhaul movements because the parts inside are so tiny. I'll go insane. I'm not good with that kind of stuff, even though I probably could do it. I'll do outside stuff. I'll buff the case. I'll change the bands, add links, take links out, whatever. Like I got this watch, for example, a few days ago, I had to take three links out <clears throat> because it was full size. It's like eight, eight and a half inches. And my wrist is not that big, by the way. So that's the first thing. If you get a watch, that means you got to go to a watch store. You got to pay somebody to do it. What do you need that for? It's not that hard. And when we get video capabilities, and we will, for those of you who've been asking, I will show you all this stuff. I'll show you how to do it. 
I'll show you one-on-one. -on -one. I will share with you all of my tricks and abilities working on this stuff so you can do it yourself. Yes, I learned it all by myself, but I did have help. I had a very good watchmaker that showed me stuff and helped me learn stuff as I went along. And that really helps. And I will do the same thing for you guys because I think it enhances your experience. I think it helps. It makes things more exciting. For example, I got that watch came in on a Friday. What if everything was closed till Monday? I'm just going to look at it in a box. Hell no. I want to wear the damn thing. Get excited. That's why I'm a watch collector. I love watches. So I get to fix the watch, make sure it fits me, make sure it does. Does it need a buff? Is it scratched up? I do it all that stuff at once, get it all done. And then I get to enjoy it. I get to wear it. I have so much fun. Uh, hopefully I'll hear something about uh, the Rolex by next time we meet. Hopefully, can't say for sure because it can take two, three weeks and we're only on like a week, week and a half, but hopefully I'll have something. So I do want to thank you for all your support, for telling your friends. We need as many people to keep this podcast going, listening as possible. So please, please, please tell your friends. We want to have fun. I mean, if you want me to go crazy, you can tell me I'll go crazy. I, I've gone crazy for years. So what the hell? Why not now? So I do want to thank you again for listening. I know it is your valuable time and hopefully I'm not wasting it. Uh, and I do want to say thank you for collecting. Thank you for enjoying watches. And thanks for listening, everybody. I really appreciate it. It's Lee Jackson, America's Finest Watchman, signing off, saying goodbye. Thank you, everybody. Have a good one.